0: Welcome to the Think Queerly podcast. I am your host, Darren Steele, where I talk about queer thought, leadership, personal growth, and LGBTQ advocacy. Now, this is a different show, a special episode today, because I was kind of on a panel on a Toronto radio show, CIUT 89.5 FM, which is called Rainbow Country. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may have heard my interview with the show creator and host, Mark Tara. So this is called Gender Identity Discussion on Toronto radio show Rainbow Country. And Mark also had my colleague, friend Jeffrey Jovanone, who also contributes on my publication, Think Queerly. So we get into a discussion about the history, definitions, and social toll progress for how we understand gender in modern day terms. You know, we look into history to understand where some of these definitions came from, and specifically transgender activism, and how the internet has had a huge influence, uh, the way that things are perceived and understood between now and or sorry, between then and now. Let me get my past tense and present tense correct. And then we actually talk about the definitions, because there are so many different words, like gender identity, cisgender, transgender, intersex. What does it all mean? And then we wrap up by looking at where is there progress happening in the world? Where is it lacking? And how does like a simple shift in language offer more inclusion for trans and gender non-conforming people. So I hope you enjoy this show. It was a lot of fun, as usual, being on it. And as always, Jeffrey really brings so much information and valuable insight into the show. So without any further ado, here it is, Rainbow Country and Gender Identity.
1: Today on Rainbow Country gender identity stay tuned for gay talk radio toronto style right here on rainbow country
0: hi i'm garrett conley author of boy erased a memoir you're listening to rainbow country with mark tara on ciut 89.5 fm
1: gay radio show working to give voice to the LGBT community and as always I am your tour guide through Rainbow Country I'm Mark Tara so do you have an interesting story to share maybe you have an upcoming project and you want to get the word out on air get in touch with me I will have you on the show on socials at Mark Tara Music my email Mark at marktara.com. My friends, it's just that simple. Man Made, a trans bodybuilding documentary, comes out on VOD worldwide November the 7th. Man Made follows the extraordinary lives of four transgender men as they prepare to compete in Trans Fit Con the only trans bodybuilding competition in the world held in Atlanta, Georgia, manmade available on VOD video on demand platforms worldwide on November the 7th, discover your next favorite artist. Indie week runs November the 13th to the 17th featuring Over 150 acts from 18 countries across 25 venues. Tickets and passes are on sale now. Here is what you have to look forward to. Over 10,000 attendees. Artist showcases. Indie Week awards show. But wait, there's more. Over 65 speakers. Health and Wellness Day, Tech Day, demo listening sessions, industry panels, mentorships. Indie Week, a five-day music festival and industry conference, runs November the 13th to the 17th. For more information, IndieWeek.com. CIUT's fall membership drive is on. So if you enjoy what we've been doing here at CIUT over the last 32 plus years with a listenership on the FM dial of over 200,000 listeners per week. If you enjoy what we do here at CIUT, if you enjoy what we're doing here on Rainbow Country, the station's number one gay and lesbian radio show, I hope you will consider giving a donation to the station. Donations of $25 or more automatically get a charity tax receipt. For more information, CIUT.FM. So, I'm doing something new. I'm evolving Rainbow Country. I'm doing an official Spotify playlist for the songs featured on each episode going forward. As you know, Rainbow Country is a two hour radio show. The second hour features music from LGBT recording artists from around the world, independent artists in general, and artists that you will recognize for sure. But if you stay with me, if you stick with me, I hope to bring you music worth hearing again the official Rainbow Country podcast on Spotify. Look for it, hear it, enjoy it, like it, follow it. Out as of today. So my friends, this is episode 175. Today, gender identity. So gender identity has been in the news here in, in Ontario over the past few weeks, due in part to Megan... Murphy, a BC-based journalist who believes transgender rights endanger women and undermine their rights. She had a lecture here in Toronto that was met by hundreds of protesters. A few weeks ago, I caught up with scholar and activist Jeffrey Ivanoni as well as LGBT life coach and podcaster Darren Steele to get their take on gender identity. That interview, up next. So joining me in studio, he is a LGBTQ life coach, a thought leader, a publisher, a writer, and a podcaster. He is Darren Steele. Welcome back to Rainbow Country, Darren.
0: Yay, glad to be back. Thank you.
1: So joining us on the phone, he is a scholar. He is an activist, a writer for Queer History for the People. And think queerly, he is Jeffrey Yovanoni. How are you?
2: I'm great. How are you?
1: I am well so to start off, I want to get a bit of background on both my guests. And Jeffrey, let's start off with yourself. If you can give us a bit of background on yourself, your work, your writings, that sort of thing, uh, go for it.
2: Sure. Um, I'm an educator, university professor, um, writer. Uh, My PhD is in American Studies, and I specialize in um, gender and LGBTQ studies.
1: And Darren Steele, same thing with yourself. Why don't you give us a bit of background on yourself, your work, the things that you do? Go for it.
0: Sure. Well, I'd like to say that my mission is to help people use their difference to make a difference. And I do that in a number of ways. I have my own podcast, The Living Out Podcast. Um, I have a publication called Think Queerly that Jeffrey also writes on, including myself. And I do life coaching more for uh, creatives and other LGBTQ people.
1: So I came across a TED talk from Margaret Nichols, the director of the Institute for Personal Growth. And essentially she sums up in about five minutes what's been happening over the last, say, 30 years. So on the other side of this clip, I'm going to get Jeffrey's take, Darren's take, on what we just heard when it comes to gender identity. But first up here is... Margaret Nichols, the director of the Institute for Personal Growth.
3: I'm Margie Nichols. I'm a sex therapist, a psychologist, and I'm the director of a psychotherapy agency here in Jersey City called the Institute for Personal Growth. IPG, ever since our creation in 1983, has always worked with the LGBT community, and so I have over 30 years of experience working with transgender clients, and and I've had an opportunity over that period of time to really see the changes. In the 1980s and the 1990s, all the transgender people that came into IPG were usually biological males transitioning to be women, and they were adults. Transgender children were considered so rare that there were only a few clinics in the whole world that worked with them. And female to male, biological women that wanted to become males were also unheard of. Then in the late 90s, we started seeing a dramatic change. We started seeing college students that were coming out as transgender. Many of them were biological females uh, transitioning to male, in fact, often more of them. Um, And we also started hearing terms like genderqueer, identities that really we had never heard of before. And then in the last 10 years, there's been another dramatic change, and the age of our average client has gone down so much that at this point, we see one or two new transgender clients per week, and almost all of them are high school age or younger down to the age of three or four. So the question is, where did these kids come from? How come there's so many of them now and there were none of them 25 years ago? Is it because we're giving birth to more transgender children? I don't really think that's the answer. What's happening is that the culture has changed and the culture has changed so much that children, that, that transgender people are feeling comfortable coming out at younger and younger ages. So these kids have always been with us, but these are the kids that 25 or 30 years ago We wouldn't have seen them until they were middle-aged and had spent an entire lifetime in shame, secrecy, and hiding. So this is a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. Things have changed a lot in 25 years. Now we know that transgender people are not mentally ill. We know it's a normal variation. The same treatment that would have been foisted on us 25 years ago, the gender conformity treatment, is now considered unethical, thank God. Because now we know that the worst thing that you can do to one of these kids is to force them to conform. It is absolutely soul-crushing to make these children be someone who they aren't. And it contributes to the high suicide rate that these kids have. So let's get back now to how the culture has changed and why the culture is supporting these kids in a way that they didn't before. The interesting thing about it is these Uh, The support for transgender and gender-variant kids didn't come from the gay community. It didn't even come from the transgender community. It came from changes in parents. It came from parents who felt differently about allowing their kids free gender expression. And by parents, I mostly mean mothers. It's not that dads aren't supportive or they're never never supportive, and certainly many mothers aren't supportive. There are plenty of families that reject their transgender kids. But by and large, the movement to support transgender and gender-variant kids has come from moms. The two organizations that are the biggest ones in the country uh, protecting these children, Trans Youth Family Allies and Gender Spectrum, both were started by mothers of gender-variant kids. These are the moms that are feminists or the daughters of feminists. These are the moms that believed all that free to be you and me stuff. They believed in breaking down gender roles. These are the moms that got trucks for their little girls and dolls for their little boys. And then when some of their kids went a little further than they had expected, and instead of just being gender nonconforming, came out as as transgender, these are the moms that kind of took a deep breath, pivoted, and they're behind their kids 110%. These are the moms that are changing the laws. They're, they're forcing schools to, to be different. They're educating their families, their friends, their communities. And I want to tell you, it's, it's not easy for them. It is difficult to accept having a transgender kid. It's scary. It's confusing. It's new. You don't know what's going to happen to the kid. But these moms suck up their own pain and deal with it so that they can support their transgender kids. <sighs>
1: So Jeffrey Jovanoni, thoughts on what you just heard from Margaret Nichols, the director of the Institute for Personal Growth?
2: Uh, So, you know, coming from my perspective as both a historian and a cultural scholar, um, I agree with a lot of her assessment about how things have changed. Um, I can add a bit to her analysis. Um, So she's really great talking about this shift in the 80s and 90s when uh, people um, start coming out as trans younger and younger, one of the the big things that's happening during that time period that she doesn't mention first and foremost is the um, popularity of the internet, right? People having the internet in their home Mm -hmm. and suddenly you can go online and um, connect to other people who are like you that you might not be encountering face-to-face on a daily basis um and we actually see a huge rate shift in people who are identifying as, as trans as the internet becomes more popular because that information is more accessible. Um the other piece of that is um, something else that's going on during um the nineties in particular, um, after feminist movement, gay rights movement um, are starting to become more mainstream. And the changes that those movements were advocating for, um, are becoming more integrated into society. Um, mm. is then we see in the 90s in particular kind of more radical, um, queer movements that are emerging that are addressing some of the issues with the previous feminist and gay rights movement. Um, namely that those movements didn't go far enough. Um, in terms of critiquing binaries of identity um, around gender and sexuality. Um, One of the things I I, I don't agree with completely in in terms of Nichols' analysis is when she's saying that the change is really um, coming from parents and mothers in particular in the sense that um, I think she's discounting a lot of the work of um, transgender activists. Right? So how did the mothers... How are they even able to access the support information for their trans or gender non-conforming kids? Um, a lot of that is coming from activism within right. the trans community mm-hmm. itself.
1: I hear you. Well said. Well said, Darren Steele. What are your thoughts on what you just heard?
0: there's a lot there i actually want to maybe add some thoughts to further what uh, what what jeff said thinking about how much the internet has really changed the world you know there are aspects of you know evolutionary biology that take millennia to change but society can change literally in a snap of a finger compared to how we evolve as human beings. So suddenly we have the internet. Suddenly we have different displays of what people can look like and gender identity. Suddenly we have like, if I came out in 1984, which I did, I had no one to look up to for who I was coming out as, as a gay man. But with the age of the internet, you could be at 13 or 14 years old Mm seeing other people representing, right. expressing themselves. Especially on YouTube. Yeah. And then going back a little farther, and I'm thinking the difference in representation in the 50s and the 60s, you know, very small, uh, mostly gay or gay and lesbian organizations protesting for visibility were trying, like I think madachine Society and other individuals like that, were trying very hard to fit in. So it would be okay. Well, women, if you're a lesbian, dress like a woman. If you're a gay man, dress like a man, be respectable, wear a suit and tie, wear a dress and heels, wear the clothes that represent your quote unquote gender at mm. that time because they were fighting so hard for acceptance. But even within that movement, there were people saying, no, we don't want to have to visibly express or represent the status quo. We are trying to make this difference. And now we have that sort of bridge, Mm -hmm. as Jeffrey was talking about, with the Internet.
1: On that note, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right
0: back.
4: Bill 7. To ban discrimination in employment, government services, and housing, based on a person's sexual orientation, was up for a vote at Queen's Park. Most NDP and Liberal MPPs supported the bill. But without some progressive conservative legislators backing, a divisive split could rack the province. Four PCs decided to break party ranks to vote with their conscience and support Bill 7. Cabinet Minister and MPP Dennis Timbrell did it to show solidarity for his beloved brother, the well-known drag queen, Rusty Ryan. And for me, a gay politician who was not yet out, I had to take a stand. We were known as the Gang of Four. I'm former cabinet minister and MPP Phil Gillies. The date, December 2nd, 1986, when LGBT rights came to Ontario.
3: I'm Susan Gapka and you're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM.
1: So definitions. I'm going to kick this one off. And if my experts want to chime in, if I have misrepresented anything that I'm about to say, please do Jeffrey, Darren, that sort of thing. So biological sex deals with male, female, and in, I think in the rare instance, intersex. And, and that has to do with genes, hormones, genitals, and essentially lives in the groin and the crotch, so to speak gender identity dealing with the internal self of male female or combination essentially lives in the brain gender identity and gender expression essentially is how we present how we feel to the world whether we feel masculine feminine or a combination of of both do you guys agree um
2: so we could think of um gender as um biopsychosocial um is the you a know, fancy term that i would would use for that right so there's a biological component to um to gender in terms of um sex in terms of anatomy there's a psychological component in terms of um gender identity and then there's a, a social component in terms of gender expression um mm-hmm. all of those different pieces of gender um work together um, to make up the broader concept and how um, we socially understand it. Mm-hmm. And, though, and though those three pieces of gender are related, um, one doesn't necessarily automatically determine the next. So, for example, just because you have a particular anatomy doesn't mean you're going to identify in a particular way, nor does it mean you're going to express your gender
1: in a particular way. Right. So, So, Jeffrey... Let's stick with yourself. And why don't you tell us what cisgender is and, uh, you know, go for it.
2: Sure. Um, So it's a term that was forwarded uh, by transgender activists, and it's really only become uh, popular in terms of mainstream usage within the past decade. Um, This is a prefix from Latin, and it means on the same side of. So essentially, people who are cisgender um, are people who identify with the gender they were assigned at birth, right? So they stay on the same side. They stick with that um, identity. Another way that we can think of cisgender people is um, people who are not um, trans, and this is important important terminology to use because it names an unmarked dominant group. So we don't have a situation where, on the one hand, we have this group of people that's labeled as transgender and they're considered other and odd and weird. And then we have the unmarked group that is considered normal. Um, Having a name for cisgender people um, essentially levels the playing field.
1: So transgender, Darren, do you want to take this one?
0: Uh, sure. Actually, I wanted to pipe in with what you might see a lot of people doing in email signatures and sometimes mm-hmm. on social profiles and dating apps, people will sign off preferred pronouns, he, him, right. and all that sort of thing. And then those are usually individuals that are um, taking part, I guess, in this social experiment to change, as Jeffrey was describing, um, to move away from this dominant mm-hmm. sort of heteronormative group um that is not trans and saying well and just trying to be inclusionary Mm -hmm. um ask me the question again please (laughs) transgender
1: the definition
0: that's an interesting one, and if I mess up with this, I apologize to anyone who is listening who is and, trans. And I,
1: Jeffrey, if you want to, yeah. if you want to chime in at any point, please yeah. do.
0: Because you know, sure. I, I I will just say I think it's important to say that I identify as a, a cis gay male. Um, transgender, as I understand it, is someone who is not at um, or does not identify with. The gender they were assigned at birth.
1: I think that's fair. Yeah. And Jeffrey, do you agree with that?
0: Um, I hear
2: a bit more historical analysis there. Um, so, transgender is a term that becomes popular um, in the 1990s. And um, activists in, in the 1990s, so people like Leslie Feinberg or Kate Bornstein, that, that were really. Um, starting to use this new terminology to challenge binaries of gender and identity. We're really using transgender um, at that time as an umbrella term. And when I say an umbrella term, I mean a term that um, describes a shared experience, but not necessarily a specific identity. So an umbrella term for people who transgressed or defied gender norms in one way, um, or another. Um, so essentially they were using it as, um, from an activist standpoint to create this, this terminology to, um, unite gender nonconforming people. Um, today it's become in terms of the popular usage, um, a bit more, narrow, and this is why language in terms of gender um, is always imprecise and a bit um, slippery and changes over time. So, we have some people who are using transgender today um, to describe people who, um, as Darren said, in the past, we might have identified as being transsexual, right? So, people who um don't identify with the gender that they're assigned at birth and then transition. And then we also have people that are still kind of using it as this more um, broad catch-all term to describe people who are in some way gender not
1: form. So, Jeffrey, let's stick with yourself. Intersex.
2: Uh, sure. So intersex is another umbrella term. Um, So, again, um, shared experience, but not necessarily specific identity. Um, For people whose reproductive or sexual anatomy um, doesn't conform to our standard Western medical definitions of male or female, Um, intersex is another term that becomes popular in the 1990s. Um however um today within the, the medical profession there's been a move away from the term intersex to this new term um, disorders of sex development or um BSD. So a lot of intersex people they'll find that um, medicalizing, pathologizing, problematic. Um but part of that is is also um intersex is often of included underneath the the broader umbrella of the LGBTQ community. Um, So there might be people or parents that don't want to see their child um, being associated with the LGBTQ community. Um, And also um, medical professionals, I think we're trying to come from the standpoint of um, a parent wants to write no what is going on with their child and and how that can be um, addressed. But so there's my contention in terms of um, how we're going to define um, intersex people at at this
1: moment. So gender non-binary, Darren, do you want to take this one?
0: I think that means it's something I talked about on my podcast uh, recently, non-binary is the person saying, I'm going to reject this entire concept of there's only one gender or one sex on one side, and then it's the so-called opposite or the other on the other side. either
1: male or female. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're rejecting that. They're saying we're also rejecting the concept. So instead of saying the world is constructed with this idea of male, female, masculine, feminine... Just non-binary altogether, which begs the question: Why even use the word non-binary in the first place? Because it's calling up the problem of the concept, of the mm-hmm. construction of that idea.
1: So, I think the next two terms may be considered like umbrella terms when it comes to gender identity, gender queer, and gender variant. Je- mm-hmm. Jeffrey, would you agree with that? Would those be considered like umbrella terms?
2: Absolutely. Um for gender variant. Basically, an umbrella term to describe people who um, defy social and cultural norms of, of gender in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, gender queer is actually an identity label um, that was popularized during the, the 1990s um, to essentially, it, it's almost synonymous with um, people today who um, fall into the more kind of contemporary category of. Um, non-binary, right? Which kind of speaks to Darren's point, um, it is the term genderqueer in, in some way a bit more radical um, in terms of challenging the gender binary? Because it, it, the term itself doesn't um, reference the gender binary.
1: This may sound like an odd question, but why these new terms? Like, why go from, say, transsexual to transgender from what was once considered hermaphrodite to intersex. And now Jeffrey, you're saying it's being considered mm-hmm. something, something else from people that may be androgynous mm-hmm. to people that, you know, maybe a uh, gender variant or gender queer. Why these changes when it comes to terminology, Jeffrey, did you want to start off, start off off on that?
2: Sure. Um, so, I think in in Western culture, we often um, have been taught to think of gender as something that is uh, essential, it's fixed, it's trans-historical, meaning it doesn't um, change over time, it's emanating from our biology, um, when in fact gender is very much a social and cultural concept. It's created by people. Um, so, our understanding of um gender has changed over time.
1: Um, And is that because of medical advancements?
2: Scientific advances, um, social justice movements, things that have challenged oppressive notions of um, gender and identity and sexual orientation and and other systems of domination that are connected to those ways of being in the world. Um, So as our our knowledge advances and, and changes, we have to come up with new language to describe um that understanding and that reality. Right. Um, ideally, in a way that creates more uh, justice and dignity and equality for people.
1: And Darren, in regards to these new terms, are these something that Are recognized worldwide? Is it just a North American thing? Because I'll be honest, if I'm, say, doing some research on something, I'll come across people even as recently as, say, a month ago on Vice, where there was a panel of LGBT individuals talking about politics, you know, whether they're conservative, liberals, that sort of thing. And there was a trans woman on there and she was referring to herself as transsexual. She's a transsexual... So are these terms something that's recognized worldwide, or is it just a North American thing? How how do you see it?
0: Definitely not worldwide. I mean, we could probably connect uh, most of North America with certain parts of Europe. And then... It's going to depend on what country we're going to go into um, and whether that country is managed by a dictatorship regime or whether it is strongly powered by some sort of a religious, maybe strong Catholic or something like that. I'm thinking certain uh, countries in Africa. I'm thinking North Korea. I'm thinking Russia um, and other places like that where – there's certainly going to be a looking to some of the freedoms and the equality and the rights and the politics of the quote unquote West, the Western world and what we're creating for ourselves there. But then the pushback within the dominant ruling power, that's going to seek to oppress the individuals that are, who are trying to express themselves. So there may also be like differences just in language in that they're using different language. So, uh, transsexual may be a, lang- a word that comes out when a person who does not speak English has their mother tongue, um, or I should say their native tongue, I guess. Uh, but that might be the word that's used in their language, almost transliterally. And then they sound it out and they think that's the a quote unquote correct word to use in mm-hmm. English and it, it, and it is, but it carries a different meaning, mm-hmm. uh, which is what Jeff was referring to about how fluid language is and language changes. Mm-hmm. But language is also dictated or the meaning of words is dictated by the society and the time in which we grow up. So Jeffrey, are you seeing these,
1: these new terms maybe starting in, in North America potentially? Are they leading the way for the rest of the world, do you think?
2: I think it's um, a double-edged sword, right? and it, it goes back to um, the observations I was making earlier about the, the internet and the popularity of social media, right, that um, this terminology can spread um, in a transnational context. Um, but part of it is also a function of colonialism, right? The, the dominant um, and the supremacy of, um, North American and, and European cultures, right? And then is there a, a scenario where, you know, people throughout the globe feel that they need to, um, adopt or, or perhaps subconsciously, right, adopting, um, terminology or understandings of gender and sexuality um, that are coming from a predominantly you know, white European context. Um, and it, it, it's interesting, right, because a, a lot of these terms are um, developed as a way to think about um, gender more um, expansively, um, more accurately, um, with more justice. But is it actually doing that, right, if then it's getting um, imposed upon people who might be coming from a context where then the specific meaning of um, gender or identity within their Native culture is then getting lost or obscured in favor of these Western
1: definitions? Wow. Wow. A lot to digest there. Well said. <laughs> well said, both of you. On that note, let's take a break. We'll be right back.
5: Hi, my name is Joanne Vanicola, and I'm an actor and a writer. And I was first on Rainbow Country with Mark Tara on CIUT 895 FM discussing the massacre at Pulse Club in in Orlando. Um, I realized how important it was for our community to have a radio station. Um, specifically for our issues to, to talk about people in, in the LGBTQ community and to provide a, an outlet for our stories um, to discuss uh, our politics culture and give voice to the to the issues that matter to us mm-hmm. and of course our artists and and um, the things that we do globally and right here in Toronto and talk about culture and without people like Mark Tara providing a space for this with, with a radio show like this then uh, we wouldn't have that voice so support tune in thank you
1: hi this is Nikki Ward and like me you're listening to CIUT
3: 89.5 FM hmm.
1: So in the last segment, we were talking about old definitions, new definitions, and I guess maybe what's underlying that could potentially be called progress. So in 2017, Dutch Railways, uh, Netherlands, Sporwegen, essentially their CP Rail here in Canada, their, their national railway, decided to make their announcements gender-neutral, going from ladies and gentlemen to dear passengers. Jeffrey, what are your thoughts?
2: I'd be interested to know if there was um, any pushback Mm -hmm. um, to that, but certainly just that simple shift in language is going to make people who are Trans or gender nonconforming or um, non-binary immediately feel more welcome. And oh, there's so much research um, that suggests that when we accommodate trans and gender nonconforming people, and when we use their names, when we use their pronouns, um, it has a significant positive effect on their mental health and well-being.
0: Darren, what are your thoughts? I'm thinking immediately to, to German, and I'm, I'm rusty, but that's my part of my background. I did, uh, didn't did quite finish my master's in German language and linguistics, and I was looking at that issue way back then in like around 93, 94, 95. Um, when you announce something like that in, in, in German, you would probably say, meine Damen und Herren, or you might say, passagier und passagierinnen so you would be saying the the plural of male passengers and the plural of female passengers the problem is that german as a language grammatically takes a declension to indicate gender and it's great that in English and probably in Sweden, and I don't know how the language works grammatically, linguistically, or from a declension standpoint, um, how they were able to get around that. But think, for example, in English, we used to say actor or actress, and we default now to just actor. We don't label the gender. But there's an interesting question there is, uh, Has there been something lost or has there been something gained? And I'm sure there could be people that could be arguing on either side of that. But I know recently somebody wrote on my publication thing queerly about they were studying in German and they were non-binary and they asked the teacher, how can I identify in this language that forces me to identify by gender because it requires a declension? Mm -hmm. So that just, that was my, that's my response is like, how do we deal with languages Mm -hmm. and probably even French for that matter?
1: Right. So sticking with progress. The Who, not the rock group, not the rock group, but the Who, the World Health Organization as of May 20, May 25th, 2019, will no longer classify gender identity disorder as a mental disorder. The health agency is reclassifying the diagnosis as gender incongruence, a feeling of distress when an individual's identity is at odds with the sex they were assigned at birth. Jeffrey, thoughts?
2: Well, I think that that's an important move, um, right, and it's also kind of keeping with um, what we've been talking about in terms of um, language, um, re- reconfiguring the, the way that we think about um, gender difference, and certainly it's acknowledging um, that certain people um, or certain types of bodies might need particular kinds of medical or therapeutic care, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that person has a disease or an illness or um, a pathology, right? So if we think about like uh, as a corollary example, um, pregnancy, people who are pregnant typically need certain kinds of care, but we wouldn't classify pregnancy as a pathology, um, right? Um, I don't love the term gender incongruence, Mm -hmm. and I wonder if the the term itself um, is a bit, right? Saying a person is is incongruent, I wonder if that is um, in and of itself
0: problematic
2: Um, othering and pathologizing even though the intention of the who is to move away from that sort of Mm.
0: um understanding of trans identity
1: Mm -hmm. darren what's your take
0: Yeah, I would, I would, I I appreciate Jeff's take on it. I would say the incongruence still feels a little awkward to me. It's like they're making a step in the right direction, but incongruence. Still doesn't quite fit. Yeah, it says to me that it, yeah, it doesn't fit, that there's something odd or Mm -hmm. awkward. And I mean, I, I, I one of
1: these things doesn't belong.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I I tweeted something and I just want to read it. It's really short. It said sex and gender may seem complex, but that's no reason for people to limit their thinking or refuse to accept other people's experiences. Experience and identity as authentic. And incongruent doesn't say authentic. It says you're somehow not quite authentic. You're somehow not quite yourself. You don't fit in. Yeah. So should we say gender nonconforming, gender variant? One of the words that we talked about like just previously, uh, which then allows the individual to say, picking up from Jeff to say, hey, I need some care. I need some help in perhaps therapy or in, in, in medical care because I actually want to consider transitioning, but there's nothing wrong with me.
1: Jeffrey, do you see a time, maybe five, ten years from now, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, where there will be male, female, and maybe X, gender X, that sort of thing, or an, a third thing?
2: I think we're certainly seeing a move um towards that um for example, in australia um mm-hmm. they have rated a gender designation of x that x for variable, mm-hmm. which you can have on your um identity documents um recently within um new york city in in the u s um and also um on the West coast, I believe in Oregon. Um, the different states and, um, cities are are having similar options, right? Mm. You could have an X designation for, um, gender. I think, so I think we're definitely moving, um, in that direction, um, in terms of the current state of, um, the United States, because there's a lot of variation between state and, and region, um, definitely not every part of the country is going to get on board with that right. as quickly as, as others. Um, right. So so like all social justice movements, um, it's a process, not a one-time event.
0: Mm-hmm. Darren? Yeah, I was going to say um, something I was reading uh, by uh, Anne Fausto-Sterling, a uh, couple of things, the, uh, the five genders revisited and then sex, gender, Um, she talks about this idea that we, you know, we don't need to see someone's genitalia, their gonads to describe their gender. And if we could move to a world where we didn't have to mark male or female on a driver's license on a passport, there are other ways to identify. There's height, there's weight, there's hair and eye color. There could be fingerprinting as a way of identifying an individual just for the movement of people within society. But to have to maintain this hegemonic sort of patriarchal control of the binary, um, that's one of the challenges that we have to deal with to be able to break out of that uh, mold that's been around for so long. And that's going to really confuse some people, but it's going to require some understanding and some learning and some compassion, I think.
1: Jeffrey Yovanoni, yeah. how can people find out more about you online? The, your writings, that sort of thing.
0: How can they do that?
2: So People can um, check out my writing um, on Medium. I'm at J E F F R Y, period. I O V A N N O N E um, at Medium.com. Um, in particular, my column that I write for Darren's publication, Think Queerly, is a column called Talk Queerly, and I write about LGBTQ culture, and politics. And people can also find me on um, Instagram. And I'm Dr. Jeff Gender Prof. So like Dr. Jeff Gender Professor, but just prof.
1: Nice. And Darren Steele, how can people find out more about you and all the things that you
0: do? Well, to, to promote Jeff a little bit more as well, so you can go to Think queerly.com that'll take you directly to the publication on medium you'll find work by myself by jeffrey and, and a whole host of other individuals across the lgbtq plus spectrum uh, for me primarily my website which is darrensteel.com that's d-a-r-r-e-n-s-t-e-h-l-e.com you'll find my articles you'll find my podcast the living out podcast which is on itunes and all the other places that you'll listen to podcasts
1: well said. Well said, both of you. Jeffrey Yovanoni, Darren Steele, thank you both for being on the show. Thank
4: you. Thanks for having us. I'm former cabinet minister and MPP Phil Gillies. You are listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara on CIUT 89.5 FM. Mm.
1: Gender, transgender, gender non-binary, everything in between. I think what's most important to remember is that at heart we are all individuals having a human experience. Don't forget, get social, get interactive on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Music. The podcast for Rainbow Country is on iTunes, Podomatic.com, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, and on Spotify. So, get Rainbow Country wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And of course, everything is hooked up at my website, including the full two-hour episodes under the archives banner, MarkTara.com. Oh, by the way... Last week, Rainbow Country was number three on Potomatic's gay and lesbian chart. And that is because of you. Next week, Indie Week. Finally, I want to take this time to thank you for taking your time to be with me. Remember, we live in days of making dreams come true. So believe in yourself. And the world will believe in you.
0: Hi, this is Police Constable Danielle Botno, also known as LGBT Cop, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara on CIUT 89.5 FM.